Welcome to USA. Hi, we are Hannah, Saida, Rachel, Gabe, and Ben. In this podcast, we will investigate, nay, interrogate, the lesser known, the peculiar, the unexpected sides of US history in short episodes. A new one every day. Hello and welcome. In this episode of USA, we look into a largely forgotten episode of American and indeed world history which in the context of recent events, we are recording this on the 21st of May 2020, has unfortunately become increasingly relevant once more. Cities are gripped with fear, schools are cancelled, theatres, places of worship and other places of public amusement have been shuttered. Sounds like something grabbed from today's headlines. However, it is October 1918. The United States has been an active participant in World War I for more than a year. And, while American troops are fighting the Hun in Europe, an even more deadly adversary is at work stateside. That month alone, October 1918, 195,000 Americans died, making it the deadliest month in American history. The killer was none other than what became known as the Spanish Influenza. In the course of the pandemic, more U.S. soldiers died of disease than in combat. Overall, 675,000 Americans were killed by the Spanish influenza. This number surpasses the total of U.S. soldiers killed in World War I, World War II, the Korean War, and Vietnam War combined. Diseases killing more people than bullets during wartime is a common feature of American history. For instance, during the American Revolution, more people died of smallpox than died fighting. But we don't think about it, or we didn't used to think about it. Current-day estimates put the death toll, the total death toll of the 1918-1919 outbreak of the Spanish flu, somewhere between 80 and 100 million people worldwide. With regards to the origin of the influenza, we will likely never be able to determine definitively the source of the 1918 pandemic. The United States, France, Austria, and China are sometimes mentioned. We do know, however, that one place from which the Spanish influenza probably did not originate was in fact Spain, but more on that later. Furthermore, we know that America's heartland played a critical role in its expansion, if not origin. On the morning of March 11, 1918, an army private reported symptoms of fever, sore throat, and headache in Fort Riley, Kansas. By lunch that day, more than 100 soldiers on the base had fallen sick. From Fort Riley, soldiers carried the disease to other American bases, the battlefield in Europe, and beyond. Now, three factors are central in understanding how the 1918 influenza was so impactful. Firstly, at the time, very little was known about viruses and their transmissions. A News of the World report from November 1918 lists the following as recommended precautions against contracting the flu. Wash inside of nose with soap and water each night and morning. Force yourself to sneeze night and morning. Then breathe deeply. Do not wear a muffler. Take sharp walks regularly and walk home from work. Eat plenty of porridge. Although diet and exercise are, of course, essential components to our health, a brisk walk isn't going to do much when it comes to preventing a virus from hijacking a host's cells and replicating itself. Secondly, the flu was significantly underestimated. 
Initially, this new influenza strain was rarely fatal and set off few alarms. Across the battlefields of Europe, it was referred to as the three-day fever. However, it did continue to spread, and by the summer it had been seen on nearly every continent. Pathology at the time did note lung tissue full of fluid and hemorrhages, but many of the fatalities earlier in the pandemic were misdiagnosed as other infectious diseases. By July, the medical community, and especially those along the war front, had decided the threat was over. A British medical journey at the time wrote that influenza has completely disappeared. It had not. While the first wave of flu in 1918 was relatively non-lethal, the second made up for it in spades. In September, a soldier stationed at Camp Devons in Massachusetts was sent to the hospital and misdiagnosed with meningitis. The next day, more than a dozen more were sent to Devon's hospital. At its worst point, 1,543 soldiers at Devon's alone were diagnosed with the flu in a single day. Camp Devon's is just 35 miles from Boston, which was, at the time, one of the nation's five most populous cities. From there, it spread to other cities. This time, it worked fast. A physician at Camp Devon's hospital reported that mere hours after a patient's admittance, he began to turn blue from a loss of oxygen. For a long time, this baffled the scientific community, but a study published in Nature in 2007 shed some light on the unusual detail. It's not just that the virus lodged in both upper and lower respiratory systems which made it so deadly. The study determined that this particular strain of influenza caused an overreaction of the immune system. Thus, people with a more robust immune system were, ironically, more at risk of death. A flu virus that thrives on healthy young adults circulating through war barracks and military hospitals is a recipe for disaster. The numbers were staggering. In a single day in Philadelphia, 759 people died from flu-related illnesses. Death spread so quickly that many were buried in mass graves. While the symptoms had been typical during the pandemic's first wave, this time they were not. Many reported coughing up blood and bleeding from the ears, nose, and even eyes. Streets were deserted. Cities looked like ghost towns. And eventually, the spread slowed. But that false sense of security combined with the mass celebrations following Armistice Day in November 1918 led to a third wave beginning in January 1919. It, too, was gruesome, though not quite nearly so as the second. This brings me to the third and last reason of why the 1918 influenza could be so deadly, misinformation and lies. To start with, the pandemic's common name, the Spanish flu, is based on mistaken assumptions. As the disease spread throughout the trenches in the European battlefield, belligerent nation governments went to great lengths to conceal its severity, so as not to lower morale. In neutral Spain, however, the press was free to report as it pleased, and did so especially when the nation's king, Alfonso XII, became gravely ill, leading to the assumption that the flu had originated in Spain. Under the auspices of maintaining wartime morale, President Woodrow Wilson signed the Sedition Act in 1918. Under threat of 20 years imprisonment, the law made it illegal to utter, print, write, or publish any disloyal, profane, scurrilous, or abusive language about the form of government of the United States. 
It was an era in which the government felt absolutely comfortable lying to its citizens. One of the architects of the Committee of Public Information, the U.S. propaganda machine also created by Woodrow Wilson during the war, a guy by the name of Arthur Bullard, is credited by saying that truth and falsehood are arbitrary terms. The force of an idea lies in its inspirational value. It matters very little whether it's true or false. So it is unsurprising that, as Americans were dying by the thousands, public health officials continually lied about the scope and severity of what was going on in order not to undermine morale. And thus, due to a lack of medical understanding, an underestimation of the severity of the influenza, and intentional misinformation, the 1918 influenza pandemic left scars on nearly every part of the planet. Extraordinary examples include the case of Fiji, where 14% of the entire population died in just 16 days. Closer to home, Alaska was also hit particularly hard, with entire villages dying out in a matter of days.